0: Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is the Stop Turtle MMA Podcast on CagesidePress.com. I'm Dana Gubbie-Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC is on the road again. UFC 286 comes to us from London, England, headlined, By that rematch, we've all been waiting for Kamara Usman versus Leon Edwards. We'll be breaking down that as well as a couple other of our favorite fights on this main card as part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, where we'll also give you an underdog and a parlay that we think will make your wallet fat. Plus, we've got the interviews you know and love. Kicking off the show this week is Sam Patterson, who's making his UFC debut in London. And later on in the show, we will be talking to Steven Peterson, who will be fighting in San Antonio next week. But before we get to any of that great content, we do have to let you know that this episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast is brought to you by the Picket app. The Pickett social betting platform allows you to sync all of your bets from all your sports books in one spot, helping you stay on top of the ways so that you're the most profitable. Not only that, but it's a great place to connect with other bettors, whether that be showing off your big score to some of your friends or trying to gain a following in the sports betting community. Picket's got you covered. New veteran and experienced bettors all have joined the Pickett community. So what are you waiting for? Download the Pickett app on the Google Play Store or the App Store today and get in on the fun. Pickett brings you this episode of the Top Turtle MMA podcast, and it starts right now.
1: The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready.
0: Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top
2: Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby.
0: All right, and joining me today is Sam Patterson, who fights Yanal Ashmoff at UFC London. That fight is on March 18th. So, Sam, let's start right here. I, I want to start with the contender series. You get the call for the contender series. You pick up the rear naked choke over Vinicius Sensi. When you're backstage waiting for whether or not Dana White makes the decision, were, were you sweating at all? I mean, it was a big performance, a big finish, but h- how were you feeling?
3: Yeah, um to be honest, it wasn't bad at the time because by the time I actually walked out the cage, done my medical check, got um got changed and went over to the chair, Bo Nickel's fight had already been done. Like <laughs> Bo Nickel had finished. So um Dana White was already talking through it. So when I look down the line and I see all the other guys, I'm kinda like like how nervous they are all are and how long they've been sat there. I didn't get time to feel their nerves. I was very confident in my performance and uh, see it looking at Dana after the fight, you kind of get a feel for like he's, if he's going to do it or not. Obviously you don't know for sure, but sitting in that chair, I didn't have time to think about um, those kind of nerves, start sweating and go, Oh, did I actually do good enough? Um, those thoughts, by the time then thoughts come to if they even come to my head, I already got the contract. So mm. yeah, luckily I was uh Bo Nichols fight was so quick that, um, he had already started announcing who gets their contracts and I didn't get time to have them force.
0: Well, that that's great to hear. Now I, I got to ask too, because you know, looking at your record, you're a young guy relatively still, but you, you've been at this for like 10 years at this point. What did it feel like to kind of make a lifelong goal a reality when you did get that call, even if you know, you weren't so nervous.
3: Yeah, no, like I said, it's all I've been like, since I was 16, I've been competing since I was 16 and I've always said, I'll get to the UFC. So it was literally like, it was obviously a dream come true, but it wasn't like a, I wasn't that shock factor. Like I, like I weren't going to do it. Like I said over you see a lot of people say they're going to do something without actually backing it up. I've always said I'll get to the UFC and had that intention since a young age. So um, when they finally come, I kind of was like, I'm exactly where I'm meant to be. You know, like I am obviously it's a dream come true. And once it all settles in after like a couple of days, my family my friends my missus all go in you're in the ufc it kind of settles in like yeah i am but to be honest this is exactly where i said i would be and now the the next part is staying here you know like i want a career in the ufc i had a 10-year career getting to the ufc i want 10 years in the ufc so um that's that's where i'm at right now
0: i like it and we're going to talk about that beginning to your ufc career in just a bit but before i do you know you mentioned in there You've been competing in MMA since you were 16 as an amateur, which is, you know, an incredibly early time in your career to be doing that. It's incredibly young to be doing that. Did you always know you wanted to fight? How did you come to the sport of MMA so young?
3: Yeah, like I think I've always been around, like growing up, I grew up with uh, four brothers and I used to, we used to grow up watching fighting films, like uh, we weren't watching cartoons and stuff. I used to watch Kit Boxer, Steven Seagal, like Van Damme movies with my dad and stuff. So I've always been around fight movies, and then obviously having brothers, you're trying you're trying their moves on each other. Like that's how it goes. And then um, going along to a gym when I was at a young age, my mum really wanted to get the less the more time I was in a gym training, the less time I was probably on the streets causing trouble. Um, just being a kid having fun, you know. So my mum put me and my younger brothers um, into mixed martial arts and. I just started soaking it up like a sponge. I was just picking up techniques very quickly. I fell in love with it and I got obsessed. I literally got obsessed. And like I said, when I was 16, I had my first competition and I never looked back. I just, I, I said it from that day and my parents, my family, um, everyone around me could see that I had that drive. Like not that a lot of people don't have drive, but they have drive. And then the same goes, they go somewhere else. They've got different things that I have only had one dream and that's been the UFC and one focus and I tunnel vision my whole life to this point. So, yeah, um, starting at such a young age, blessed me to be where I am today because of the fact I started in MMA. I didn't start in a single discipline. I started in mixed martial arts. And I feel like you can see that in my style. Um, I'm good all across the board. I'm not just a striker. I'm not just a grappler. You know, you look at my finishes. Uh, my professional finishes I think I've got half and half half submissions and half knockouts I I'm not like um I don't favor anywhere in the game I'm good everywhere you know
0: well I was actually going to ask you that too you know like you're part of that like newer era of fighter who who does start in MMA right like there's youth MMA now which is you know crazy to think of if you were following the sport 20 years ago In in like you said it's an advantage Have you ever felt the need to go, you know, like train more specifically, focus on areas that you feel are weak? Or have you felt that way, that you're you're kind of well-rounded all the way through your career?
3: Um, No, I've been pretty all-rounded my whole career. It's all I've known, really, is mixed martial arts. Like, I believe there's great strikers out there, but striking for MMA is totally different to striking. Like, um, yes, you can sharpen up your hands in a boxing gym, but boxing's totally different to MMA. Like striking for MMA is different, even even to the point where like jujitsu, like in the gi and stuff like that, jujitsu for MMA is different to just jujitsu. So I've always been around an MMA gym or always added my turn like mixed martial arts turn on a technique. Like obviously I train single disciplines. I train striking, I train um, jujitsu on its own, catch wrestling, wrestling. Um, I do all the individual disciplines, but as I'm doing them, I'm always like I've got a very MMA mindset and how I can incorporate them into my mixed martial arts game. And not just like a a single discipline mindset, because, yeah, I'm not doing boxing. I'm not kickboxing. I'm, I'm a mixed martial artist and I pride myself on being a mixed martial artist.
0: I dig that. I dig that. Now let's talk about this upcoming fight because this is obvious why why people are super excited. It's your chance to make your UFC debut and not only are you getting your chance to make your D- UFC debut here but you're getting to do so in London, in England. When they decided to bring a card to England you find out you're on it. W- what are the emotions like that you get to do it you know at home essentially?
3: Yeah it was amazing when I found out um It it was inevitable, really. It was going to happen. I said at the last... I went to the last London card in July and I put a post out saying the next time they come here, I'll be on the card. And I wasn't wrong. Um, I would have liked one in between if I'm totally honest. I'm quite active. Like, I'm always training. Um, So from September, I would have liked to get one more fight before the end of the year. It just didn't come about. It didn't happen. Um, So I've been in the gym non-stop since my last fight. And I've been leveling up my skill set so when they uh, offered the opportunity of the London card, like they were talking about going into next year, you know the London card's always around the March time. It made sense. They offered me that date. And, yeah, what a blessing. To after four years of fighting abroad and all around the world, to come home and fight in front of a home crowd for the biggest organisation in the world, this is just like another another chapter in my book, you know? Like I would love to write a book when I retire and just go through all these chapters And it's, um, they're like little bucket list dreams, you know, they're little dreams and like headlining, headlining in your hometown is always a dream, like things like that. So yeah, to have my debut for the biggest organization in the world in my hometown, it's actually going to feel weird. It's actually going to feel more weird because I've been used to being in, um, other people's countries, backyards and countries and being booed, walking to the cage and stuff (laughs) like that. So it's, it will be a pleasant, um, very pleasant and happy moment, which I am ready to embrace walking out in front of like a home crowd. And I'm going to take in every single second of it.
0: Uh, that's great to hear. Now, I-, I wanted to ask you about something you said there before about wanting to be a little bit more active, because I've actually heard that from a lot of guys off that season of the Contender Series who have wanted fights more often, fights right after their Contender Series fight and stuff like that what has it been like for you to spend that? Cause it's going to be going pretty close to half a year. What has it been like for you in the gym w- without really a date scheduled for, for a pretty long time?
3: Yeah. It's like, to be honest, I think everyone on the contender series, once you get the contract, that's it. You're hungry. Yeah. Yeah. You've you're a hungry lion. Just want to get in there and prove yourself. You know, everyone wants to get their debut. So, um, but, at the same time, they have a plan. And I was fighting in September. The rest of the year was already booked up. Like the UFC, unless you take a last-minute fight, which ain't really my style, um, I like to prepare correctly, do everything correctly. So a last-minute fight isn't my kind of style. Um, so, yeah, and looking at it, most of the guys that fought on the same card as me have fought around this time. Um, I know Jack just fought in his hometown. Uh, he was on the same contenders. Bo Nickel just fought at the weekend. So they didn't get quick turnarounds either. Um, and it doesn't matter. It's not like I'm on a beach or being a bum. You know what I mean? I'm in the gym improving my skills. So the longer they give me between, the higher the level I am between fights. You know what I mean? So I'm I'm leveling up my game every single day. Um, I pride, Like I said, I pride myself on being a martial artist. So being in the gym between fights is actually probably the best time to learn and improve. Because when you're preparing for a fight, All you're thinking about is your opponent and getting in the best shape of your life. So, yeah, I've leveled up leaps and bounds and I can't wait to go out there and show it next week. Um, I'm buzzing and the time off between has been used correctly. Like it could have been, I could have been out partying, I could have been doing all that. And that would have been a waste of time. But being in the gym, leveling up my skills, helping training partners get ready for their fights. It's been perfect. And we're on the roll now. It's uh, 2023. I want three fights this year. Um, which I think is a good amount in the UFC with enough uh, time in between each fight to level up my skill set as well and keep leveling up because that's the aim of the game. Um, so yeah, I'm buzzing to get started in March in my hometown and just keep this keep this ball rolling.
0: Well, well, let's talk about that fight in March too. So you are getting a fighter who's doing something kind of rare. He's coming to the UFC without contender series, without the ultimate fighter, without being a last second replacement. And you know, Ashmov, had you heard it all of of you know before this fight and and if so maybe what have you you learned about him since
2: then
3: no i didn't know who he was before the fight um as he probably did know who i was you know um i think at this level now it's very rare you're going to know unless you start breaking into like well known fighters or top 15 you're not going to know who comes across it's just going to be another fighter but um yeah he's he's um a gamed opponent he's undefeated he's tough his last fight was on the PFL. He didn't obviously carry on that career down that path. It's his first his first fight in the UFC. Maybe he's got a good manager. I don't know. Um, yeah, unfortunately, he's coming up against me. And yeah, it ain't a good idea. Yeah, it ain't coming, it ain't good for him. I tell you, I'm in the best shape of my life. I am prepared. I am sharp. I am focused. You know, I am ready to go out there and do what I do.
0: Well, and I usually like to end these with a prediction. So tell me what you do when you get in there on March 18th. How does this one end?
3: It ends within the 15 minutes. I find the finish within 15 minutes. I am, like I said, I am in the best shape of my life. I'm prepared. I'm focused. And I, I never predict what I'm going to get. I kind of go in there, adapt to what I, uh, what's in front of me and find the finish. But I can guarantee it's over within 15 minutes. All right, well, you
0: heard it here first, folks. This has been Sam Patterson, who fights know Ashmoff at UFC London. Once again, that fight, March 18th. Sam, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Thank
3: you very much, man. I appreciate it. Tune in. It's going to be fun.
0: Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Sam Patterson. I Once again, I'm Daniel gubby Freeland. joined now by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, while this is an exciting pay-per-view this weekend, I got to start by talking about The Machine 49 takedown attempt, Marab Devalish, Philly. He picks up a one-sided win over Piotr Jan that both of us did not see coming. Here's my question for you. He's not going to fight Al Sterling. He's made it pretty clear he's not going to fight Al Sterling. Would you pick him to beat Al Sterling?
1: Uh, You know, I do have to say, you know, I did bring up last week, if I could pat myself on the back, his output of takedowns is something we've never seen before. And sure, you could certainly bounce the ping pong, ping pong ball back at me and say, well, yeah, he's also failing at a lot of takedowns. So maybe takedown attempts isn't like the great at go by. But to me, he becomes like this puzzle for people, much like kind of like early Wonder Boy in a way, but like the grappling equivalent, that he might just throw so many takedowns at you and mix them in so well, he becomes like a, a, a tough puzzle to solve, like a jigsaw puzzle. So my point being, I, pr- I think I pick Aljo straight up against him. But you just never know how someone's going to react to that amount of fucking grappling pressure, pardon my French. That all being said, I respect the heck out of him not wanting to fight a training partner. And, of course, Uncle Dana had to make it about, like, well, you know, he's shooting himself in the foot, and this doesn't turn out well for people when they, you know, turn me down. To me, just from, like, a marketing standpoint, which, let's face it, the UFC is a marketing machine, I would be playing up the fact that he's so loyal. And, you know, I think it's kind of cool, actually, that they're not going to fight. So bottom line, I don't necessarily know who I lean towards in that fight. I guess I lean towards Aljo, but it wouldn't shock me for Davishvili to, you know, upset him. But at the same time, we're never going to see it, and I respect that. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm with you there. I, I think Algerine Sterling's craftiness in his jujitsu just, like, eventually puts Davishvili in a bad spot. That That's kind of my... My instinct in breaking that down. But, you know, I heard Kurt Chase Patrick say it the other day. He he called what Marab devalishvili uses weaponized cardio. Uh, and and <laughs> it, it seems like he doesn't need more skill to beat you, uh, which is just crazy. So, um, yeah, like, uh, to your point, I, I don't think I can definitively pick one of them. But I will say this. I also don't think it's the worst thing in the world that they won't fight right now. Because there's some shaking out in this division to do. Aljamain Sterling's got to fight Henry Cejudo. Um, You know, Sean O'Malley's supposed to be next in line. He's already got a couple of fights lined up. Let Marab go fight the winner of Corey Sanhagen, Marlon Vera, after that one happens. And if, look, if Aljo cleans out the division with those two, and Marab picks up another win and helps clean out the division, well then we see Aljamain Sterling at 145 pounds. Volk gets a fresh new challenger up there, and Mirab just takes the belt
1: when nobody's looking.
0: So I don't think it's that big of a problem. I think Dane is probably making more out of it than he needs to.
1: I actually love that idea where if Aljo defends two more times, and you know me, I'm not a huge fan of guys, you know, coming out, but once they more or less clean out their division, I would lo- I think Aljo, you know, he's a lankier, kind of taller 135-er. I'd very much like to see him at 145 and I also have to say, I think it's really interesting, you know, as I was watching that fight unfold on Saturday night and I'm looking at Sarah Longo in that corner and I'm like, you know, Piotr Jan is a bad, bad man. And the Sarah Longo team is now, I guess what, two and one against him. And it was 3-0. A really cool. Three
0: You're forgetting the DQ. 3-0. Oh, <laughs> D- yeah. I,
1: I'm sorry. I, I actually <laughs> count the first one for Piotr Jan. Cause I thought he was winning that fight until the DQ, but yeah, I, uh, it's just it's interesting to see sometimes when you know you can lay out these game plans because I to me like Piotr Jan, I I still almost think is like a more talented MMA fighter in a lot of ways especially when it comes to striking than Davishvili but you know I just I think the game plans have been really good against him from that team.
0: Hundred percent agree and I will just I also want to just throw a little credit in there with Sarah Longo because it was both Sarah and Longo in the corner. But he also had Al Jermaine Sterling and John Wood from Syndicate MMA. This dude is mixing and matching some corners in there, too, from a couple of different gyms. And I think that's why we're seeing improvement in his striking, too, because I think John Wood's kind of the uh, the guru when it comes to that. But, yeah, um, totally agree with you. think he's less skilled than Piotrion, and and he's going to keep winning fights like that anyway.
1: <laughs> well, you talk about a guru. We're a couple of gurus when it comes to picking our fights laying out some dogs we like, and maybe even a parlay to play. And guess what? We have a nice little segment for all that, and we call it Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. And we're going to be doing that right now for UFC uh, 286, which takes place in London, which is great for us East Coasters because it's actually at a time when, you know, we're not dead asleep in the middle of the night. So I'm very excited for this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Let's break down some of these fights but Gumby, before we do, does anyone sponsor this edition of Fight Dogs and Parlays?
0: Absolutely, Fight Dogs and Parlays is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jitsu or any other martial art, you can use Maroon Social to log your training sessions, tag your training partners, log competitions, weigh-ins, and so much more. Ditch that dirty jiu-jitsu journal and get yourself Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps.
1: All right. Well, let's go to the main event. Thank you, Maroon Social, for uh, bringing us this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. The main event is a rematch for the 170-pound strap. Uh, it's Kamara Usman, the former champion, challenging for the title against Leon Edwards. But guess what? Edwards, the champion, is the dog. He's a plus 195, almost a 2-1. to And our boy Usman is a minus 250. So odds makers feel like that. Head kick knockout that Leon Edwards got in the last fight was somewhat, shall we say, fluky. Both these guys were on million fight win streaks heading into that last match. Usman tasted his first loss in professional MMA. In uh, it was a second loss total, but the first loss he's had since 2013. He was a 1-0 fighter who lost via rear naked choke at CFA 11 back in May of 2013. He then goes and reels off 19 wins in a row until Leon Edwards' head kick knocks him out with about 30 seconds left in that match. Leon Edwards, of course, was also on a very long win streak uh, with a no contest thrown in there against Belial Muhammad. But he was the dog in the last fight. He won it. And now he's the dog again. Who you got? I'm going to go with Kamar Usman.
0: I I know that it it feels wrong for him to be this big of a favorite, especially after just losing. But look, I've said it time and time again. He was winning that fight. There was really no reason for him to, I, I mean, like get himself in a position where he could get knocked out. He could have played that a little bit safer and would have wound up winning this fight. And that's not to say that, that Leon Edwards didn't look good in that fight or Leon Edwards didn't have his moments, but like, Ultimately, I think Kamara Usman is the better fighter. I thought he was the better fighter before the fight. I watched a little bit of the fight, and then I thought he was still the better fighter. Do better fighters sometimes get caught? Yeah, it 100% happens. Do they often get caught twice? Not often. Now, there's always the question about how does he rebound from that loss? Is there some mental energy that's spent there? You know, now he's going to have to go overseas and beat Leon in his own hometown, like I, I I hear all of that, I just don't think it makes a big enough difference here. I got I like Kamar Usman here. I actually like him to
1: probably to win by decision too. Um, yeah, I think by decision, Usman is up there. I also would not be surprised to see Usman, if the opportunity presents itself, employ a more grapple-heavy approach. And never, ever, ever find himself in a situation where he's trading punches of a fight he's winning four rounds to one. Um, you know, and, and put himself in a position for a head kick knockout. So I also, just as a prop, I want to throw it out there. I also like Usman via, I don't know, maybe a sub, uh, you know, just if he took him down and we're talking like late round four, round five, and he just goes for the finish. Just based off what happened the last time, I do think the cards are in Usman's hand, if that's the right phrase. I do think he can control the fight, and I'm sure he never wants to find himself in in what happened the first time. So I also wouldn't mind seeing Usman use a little more grappling in this fight, and that's something I'm going to be keeping a close eye on. Let's move then to another pretty exciting fight, actually. Raphael Fiziev is a minus 225 favorite to Justin Gaethje, a plus 180 dog, Fiziev has been nothing short of impressive since debuting in the UFC. He debuted on a loss and then reeled off six wins in a row. He's coming off two big KOs over Brad Riddell and Rafael Dos Anjos. Justin Gaethje, always a fun fight. Maybe not the most strategic or, you know, smartest fighter around. He came into the UFC and just had banger after banger with Eddie Alvarez, Dustin Poirier, but he lost those two fights. Then he reeled off four wins in a row and went against the Beast, Khabib Nurmagomedov, in a title fight. Khabib's last fight ever. He got brutalized in that fight, came back, beat Michael Chandler via unanimous decision, and then fought for Charles uh, fought Charles Oliveira, Charlie Olives, for that lightweight championship again and got rear naked choked in the first round. So 0-2 in title fights. You just never know with Gechi. I think he is what he is. The book is pretty much out on him, and now we have the surging prospect in Fiziev. So I certainly think Fiziev should be the favorite. Minus two twenty-five is a very strong favorite, though. Who you got?
0: I actually don't even hate that number. I I think Faziev is a nightmare matchup for somebody like Justin Gaethje. Justin Gaethje, a guy who likes to go out on his shield, doesn't mind getting hit. He's going to be in there with a defensive wizard in Rafael Faziev. Like, I love the way that Faziev mixes together his aggression, but also the way that he safely moves out of range to stay away from fighters. He's also got incredible knockout power, and we've seen time and time again with Gaethje. I mean, like, look at the fights this man has lost. TKO to Eddie Alvarez, KO to Dustin Poirier, basically a KO to Charles Oliveira who had him stunned and then jumped on his back. Like, this is a guy who we love because he goes out on his shield, but the dude's been going out on his shield. You know what I mean? He's not been carrying it when he walks out of the cage anymore, and I think Faziev just has that next-level power. I think the fact that his defense is going to hold up against a guy like Gaethje who's trying to draw him into a brawl, I, I just I-, I couldn't love Faziev in this spot any more than I already do.
1: Yeah, I definitely like him to win as well. Uh, Marvin Vittori, uh, former title challenger at 185 is a minus 270 favorite to Roman Delize, a plus 240 dog. Roman, our boy, another Georgian fighter. We talked about this a few years ago when we were doing a combat countdown on our show and we said that Georgia was a country to watch as far as, you know, could have a next title challenger, could have a next champion in the UFC, and there have been just an army of guys coming from Georgia, the country, not the state people. Uh, and, you know, our boy Roman is on a four-fight win streak in the UFC right now, coming off of big KOs, three KOs in a row over Kyle Dacus, Phil Hawes, and Jack Hermanson. But Vittoria, the former title challenger, is the favorite here. He's coming off a loss to Robert Whittaker, the former champion. He had beat Paul Costa before that, lost to Adesanya for the belt before that. He had a nice win streak before fighting Ida Sanya for the belt. He's really only lost to the very tippy top of the division as Vittori, losing to Ida Sanya and Whitaker, champion, former champions. So, you know, he only loses to the very best. Who you got?
0: I'm going to go with Roman Dolidze here. I, I think, here's the thing. I, I know Marvin Vittori is going to have a wrestling advantage, and Marvin Vittori is going to come at Roman Dolidze and try to exploit the fact that Dolidze has had some holes in his takedown defense before. But the difference here for me is that Delizze has got very high-level jujitsu. We've seen him hit sweeps and in, in all kinds of submission attempts off of his back and to counter good wrestlers. In addition to that, I think he's 20 times more dangerous on the feet. Do I think he might wind up in bad positions in this fight? Undoubtedly, but at a price like 240, I don't know how you go ahead and bet Marvin Vittori instead of Roman Delize here. Our dog
1: of the week is Jai Herbert, plus one thirty-five.
0: Yeah, so I love Jai Herbert. I I will say this, you know, this is one of those fights where I think Jai Herbert is getting a bad rap based on his early time in the UFC because if you go back way way back to when he first came into the UFC, he kind of disappointed. He got knocked out by Francisco Trinaldo. He got submitted by Hanato Moicano, and then he won two out of three. He knocked out Carmel Worthy. He beat Kyle Nelson, and he lost to Leah Tapuria, which like. Is there any shame in losing to Aliyah Tapuria? Hell no. That dude is an absolute animal. But what we've seen out of him in those last three fights is he's using his length more. He's getting it done with his hands. And Ludovic Klein is a guy who, you know, like, don't get me wrong, is going to want to stand in front of him and trade, but he's been less dangerous with his knockout power in the UFC. He doesn't have a finish in his last four fights. So I actually, think Jai Herbert going in there and mixing it up with him might be the one to score the knockout here. And at plus 140, I like it.
1: Well, I'll tell you what I like. It's our parlay to play. It's Fizia, uh, the aforementioned, at minus 225, and Casey O'Neill at minus 185. Break it down. Yeah, so if you put these together, it comes out to just over
0: plus 130, uh, which I really like here. Fiziev, I already outlined why I love him. I think his defense holds up. I think he deals with the aggression of Gaethje really easily. Casey O'Neill, meanwhile, she's a hot prospect, and I know some people are worried about the knee injury. I actually think that that's why the price winds up so low here. But the fact of the matter is she's got great output, incredible grappling. Her back takes are great. And Jennifer Maya is not really the type of fighter who is going to, uh, you know, who's going to out-technique you, who's going to outwork you. She might try to physically, you know, get in your face and physically put you up against the cage and make it messy. But we saw that fail against Manolfi Rowe, and I think Casey O'Neill's got a lot of the same things going for as Manolfi Rowe, only with a little bit more of a grapple-heavy approach. So I like those two paired together to get us a little bit of plus money here.
1: Boom, I like it. That wraps up this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays for the week. But Gumby, we are having fun here. We're having a party. Let's keep it rocking. What should we do now? So we're going to
0: transition now to my interview with Steven Peterson, not Sam Patterson like we talked to before, but Steven Peterson, who isn't fighting this week at UFC 286, but he is fighting the following week at UFC San Antonio. He talks about his return to Texas as well as doing some cornering work, uh, both on the amateur level and in the UFC level. And we're going to get to that interview for you right now. All right, and joining me today is Steven Peterson, who fights Lucas Alexander at UFC San Antonio. That fight is on March 25th. So, Steven, I wanted to start here, you know, this past weekend, right at the time we're recording this. You were actually exposed to corner Austin Lingo in his fight. Uh, That fight gets canceled. How's the the team spirit going right now? What was it like to kind of be at a fight week but not be at a fight week?
2: Uh, It was different, man. Uh, You know, his, uh, his opponent missed weight by nine pounds, so that was kind of disappointing, and uh, the the fight just couldn't go on, so looks like we're going to uh, get Lingo rescheduled, and hopefully he'll fight on the same night as me in uh, San Antonio.
0: Well, and I was going to ask that, too. Like, I, I assume he wants the real quick turnaround, right? Like, he's already in camp shape and all that kind of stuff?
2: Yeah, he's ready to go, so might as well just put us on the same card so we can rally together.
0: I dig that. I dig that. Now, was it possible for you guys to, like, stay for the fights? Did you guys get to sit and watch them all? What what was it sort of like, or did you just tie tail home?
2: I I went straight home, man. I got my fight, and, uh, you know, if I wasn't there to work, then i need to be home working.
0: Well, I like that mentality. I like that mentality. Now, let's talk a little bit about your preparation for this fight, Uh, and, and you're fighting a newer guy in Lucas Alexander, but before we talk about him, I want to talk about where you're fighting, because I know after the Alex Caceres fight, you said you were going to try to stay away from that Texas commission that's been pretty terrible in the past. What sort of allowed you or made you decide to, to come back to Texas?
2: Uh, well, it started with the uh, COVID lockdowns, right? So uh, I wasn't fighting for, shoot, that whole time when we were locked down. and then, uh, And then I had a year layoff recently um you know of no choice of my own and uh i was just ready to get back in there so uh now i've been uh i've been you know working with the commission a little bit on uh on promoting and stuff like that so i think we've uh we've turned a new lease and some of the the, the individuals that were uh in power when i had my discrepancies are no longer uh you know, working with the commission. So I think a lot of things have changed and, uh, and it's, it's time for me to get back in the, in the octagon and, uh, you know, show out from my, my home state.
0: I love it. Now you, you mentioned in there a year off and it it not really being your choice. Has it been injuries, just not getting fight offers, stuff falling through a little bit of everything.
2: Yeah. I just didn't get a fight offer. I was just sitting on the shelf for the past year, kind of waiting. So, um, yeah, you, you put me on the shelf for a year and I'll I'll take whatever you give me. <laughs> and
0: and like you said you you've been busy a little bit over that time, right? I I saw you started a new fight promotion. What what sort of led you down the path of promotion? Was it that that long layoff?
2: Yeah, I got I got to be active, you know. So uh, I'm coaching and uh running my own business as well, so in the meantime, I just uh yeah, I like to do something. Uh, I like to Create things and, and and build a, you know, build things from scratch. So, if I'm not in fight camp, I got I got to be doing something building.
0: I like that. I like that. Now, now you mentioned the coaching too, and I know you do a lot of coaching with Fortis MMA and and beside Save out and working in the with you know obviously cornering the fighters. Is it a lot of just? being the assistant coach to safe is it is it a lot of you know sort of cornering other guys on the regional scene what what's your coaching schedule kind of look like
2: um it's more building the amateur program so uh coach safe really he's got two, over 20 ufc fighters and uh, countless other pros so uh as far as the amateur guys they they need a you know direction of their own so I've kind of taken that role of, of building the amateur guys up to that that beginner level. Once they start fighting, and when they're ready to you know go pro, then Coach Safe they'll they'll come to the pro practices with us, and and Coach Safe kind of takes over at that point. That's awesome.
0: And and out of curiosity, is that something that that you had always wanted to do? Had you always wanted to coach, or is it something just being the you know one of the veterans? You kind of like fell into one of those roles.
2: Yeah, I think it's one of those things I just fell into. Uh, yeah, I enjoy teaching and coaching, but uh, it's definitely not, not something I planned on doing with my, my career. It's just uh, you know one of those roles where you fall into and it's kind of a duty.
0: Well, I like it. Now, let's get to talking about the thing that you did plan on doing, and that's fight. And you've got a guy as an opponent here in Lucas Alexander who's a little bit of a newcomer and you've been fighting guys, you know, similar experience levels to you, Alex Caceres, Julian Arosa, you know, like guys who've been around the block like you have. H- had you heard of Lucas Alexander or was this a, a completely new name to you when they came to you with his name?
2: Yeah, I have never heard of Lucas Alexander until before this. And uh, once they matched this up, I jumped on the opportunity, you know, I, I, like to take the, the first opportunity I get. I, I never say no to a fight. Um, Lucas has uh, little experience, but he's uh, he's scrappy. You know, he's he's got he's he's got like uh, he's dangerous. He's a dangerous opponent, and uh, I think it's it's a good matchup for me. But I need to mind my p's and q's, and I got to go in there and, and show that you know my experience reigns supreme.
0: Absolutely, and usually I like to end these things with a a prediction. Do you got a prediction of how this one ends come uh, March
2: 25th? I plan on taking out Lucas in the first round.
0: All right, well, you heard it here first, folks. This has been Stephen Ocho Peterson, who fights Lucas Alexander at UFC San Antonio. That fight, once again, March 25th. Stephen, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it.
2: Hey, my pleasure.
0: And that's going to do it for another episode of the Top Turtle MMA podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Maroon Social and Pick It. And remember, you can check us out on social media at Top Turtle MMA in both of those locations, uh, Twitter and Instagram, that is. Uh, until next week, I'm Daniel Gibby Freeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte. And we will catch you then.